or unlocking the door to fun with Solomon's Key on our Sinclair. everybody welcome to our sinclair i'm john and i'm aaron today aaron we're talking about solomon's key beautiful aaron man. when was the last time you actually used a key to unlock a door all the time <laughs> all the time i unlock my car i unlock the front door at the house i unlock the arcade i use wow still using to keys in the building yeah now my mm. new uh cool work car the super mm-hmm. car if you just have the key on you, it just opens. It's got it really. Key, it's got a it's got a gimmick, like a like a fob. It's got a fob. So the door just pops open as you approach it. It doesn't. <laughs> that'd be dangerous on in the car when you. <laughs> no, no. If if you have it like in your pocket, it will automatically unlock. You know. Really. Yeah. What if you don't want it to though? Why well, would no? I mean, if okay, let me back up. Here's Aaron. The car is locked. Okay. okay. I've got the fob in my pocket. Right. Okay. I walk up and I grab the car door. It's still locked the second I touch it, but it, it, then it unlocks. So it it, 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 it it feels through your hand is what you're saying. It, it locks and unlocks automatically. And also through your you hand. Inside. You have to make physical contact with the door. Oh, yeah. What do you think I'm just like there concentrating? No, because I why well, I mean I can foresee a car that would have like a like you're nearby, you know, if you're near like a near field sensor. Yeah. So you actually because what I'd be afraid of is like you lock the car, you walk away, but the car doesn't realize that you want the car to be locked because you're still sort of near it, and well, then it yeah. unlocks. So it it's it's strange. I usually lock it anyway with a little gimmick. Right. Right. I'm getting and but the other thing is like you, I'm in the car. Pretend I'm in the car. Right. It doesn't have a, a keys uh, gimmick. You just hit a button to start the car. Yeah, my car is you know? like that. No, but here's the weird thing, right? So you reach down for the gear shift. No gear shift. It's got a little freaking dial. Oh, like a Jaguar. Man. Well. <laughs> what kind of car are you driving? What kind of car is KSP doling out these days? I think it's like an Edge or something. But it, the dial is weird because you keep reaching down with your hand like, and there's nothing there. Yeah, especially you know? when you're on the long drive. Sometimes I like to rest my hand on that thing, too. It feels Pretend like, like I'm driving like a driving stick. A, it's like a toy car or something. Mm-hmm. Remember when you, back in the old days, where you had that rotary phone? Yeah. It, we're going back to that. I think you just dial it up to drive, huh? What we're doing. And the emergency <laughs> brake. You know, most cars get that big, big emergency brake. Whoop! This I love that a, thing. I use it for drifting. This one's got a little gimmick. It's like this long, you just go ting, and it, <laughs> it just did the emergency brake. I don't think we're going to see that in the Fast and the Furious anytime soon. No. Ting! That noise is not fast, or is it furious? <laughs> you know, but hey. But no, I unlock crap with keys all the time. Now, I'd like to get a gimmick. You know, those deals you can get yeah. where it's like keyless entry. You mm-hmm. know? The problem see, is you can ha- suckers can hack that. You know, Most of the time... I I very rarely use keys anymore. I was just thinking about this. Is that's why I asked, just rolling like you. the Kool Aid Man. Oh yeah, busted the wall. <laughs> Most of the time, I break a window and then I just jump through. <laughs> a little B and E. I uh, whenever I come home, I come through the garage and I've got the the key panel outside. Yeah. No key there. How fancy. Uh, yeah. When I my car, no key there. Just got the fob. 
Yeah. Uh, keyless entry there. Why don't uh, you go just in... stun it with my fob then? If you've got one. Well, it's, it's I was stuff. I was curious about the technology because because the way my car works is it actually on the door it has a little button in the yeah. handle and I've got to press that button to unlock the door. There could be a button in the handle of mine, but that I just never felt it. Mm. I just you gotta start feeling around your I've handle got, a little bit. I've the big meaty hooks, just like I yeah. can't feel that good. That's true. That's true. But I was just thinking, are we headed towards a keyless existence where children in the future will play Solomon's key and they won't understand what's going on? I think we might be heading there, actually, because that that comes up occasionally in a game. How many games feature like records or cassettes or even eight tracks? That stuff's all gone, you know, mm-hmm. or like, uh, uh, well, I guess there's not too many games that feature switchboards or <laughs> or buggies. <laughs> But, you know, <laughs> the abacus, you know. You know I'll tell you what was slide funny rule. here. I'm in this new car this week. I'm rolling. I'm out in the sticks, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm like, man, I'm here. I am state of the art car, right? It, it interfaces with my phone and crap. And as mm-hmm. I'm driving along, an Amish buggy pulls right out in front of me. I'm just sitting there, like, well, here we go. This is the it, those things are still around too. So it's, there's certain comfort in it, I guess. That's true. That's true. Not really. Let's talk about Solomon's Key. Oh, man. I've been waiting for this boat. Solomon's Key. So, <clears throat> Solomon's Key for the ZX Spectrum is actually an arcade port. Yeah. All right? And we're going to talk about the arcade before we talk about the ZX version. So, this is a game that was real popular in Japan. Well, that's not true. It's a game that had some following in Japan. I believe I read that when it was released in 86... That year, it was like 18th, uh, the 18th most popular game in Japan. Yeah, 18th. they all can't be winners. Well, I mean, I guess they're... Think of, think of how many games get released in Japan in 86. Right, I mean, 18th is probably not bad, especially yeah. for a year like 86. And I read that it that, that they'd moved 300,000 units, but I, I, that's not arcade machines. So I think they get that mixed up. So that, that's that, a lot of arcade machines. I would no, I would dispute that figure. There's yeah. a zero percent chance. That's, I read them like that's got to be a typo. <laughs> so so get this. So I and, and just for you at home, uh, there's a little comparison here between the uh, the arcade version and the uh, and the ZX. So I want to go over this for one specific reason because I found effectively what is the backstory of the arcade, and I want to compare it with the backstory that's it comes along with the cassette when you buy the ZX version, right? Because okay. it's sort of amusing. So, in the Japanese version, from what I can f- I tell, I, I, this was printed on old Hardcore Gaming 101, which I love that site. Big plug. Uh, the key, the Solomon's Key is not a key. It's actually a book made by King Solomon in order to keep evil spirits and demons under control and trap them in this area called Constellation Space. Now, I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. Okay? Because I did a little research, too. Yeah. And did you know that the Solomon's Key is actually, well, quote-unquote real? No. Get into so it, this is So this is a Renaissance invention. Uh, at least the earliest copies of Solomon's Key we know of come from the Renaissance. Of course, Solomon lived thousands of years before the Renaissance, uh, the biblical Solomon, but uh, documents purported to be by him have surfaced, and they were used as sort of a magical, you know, is basically a, a book of incantations that all revolve around this, this symbol called Solomon's Key. I mean, this thing is right out of a Dan Brown novel. 
And so uh, this is, and and so the the author of Solomon's Key had heard about this book before, and that's how he was inspired to name the game. It was after this this sort of uh, quasi occult literature known as Solomon's Book and Solomon's Key. That's 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 excellent work, boat, and it actually it dovetails nicely into the backstory. So we now it makes perfect sense that he would have done that. So. Anyway, you've got to keep these demons in the constellation space, which, again, sounds like a negative zone for Superman, right? But someone goes and gets the book, as they often do, and frees all the monsters into the world, okay? So, Utra, the ruler of Lyrak, the fairy kingdom, commands Dana, the, the uh, magician, to go and retrieve the key, okay? Where do you stand on the name Dana? Dana. There is no Dana. There's only Zool. I think it's a fine name. You don't see a lot of guys in that, but there are a few. Dana Carvey comes to mind. And uh, Dana White. Dana White, yeah, exactly. So it's funny that the first one that came to my mind was Dana Carvey. So it's your Amiga shining through. Now, that was the backstory that was used in in Japan, all right? Here's the uh, British spin on this, okay? Uh, This is on the cassette, all right? Return to an age of mystery and and intrigue. To a palace in which fabled treasure of King Solomon shone brightly with its glorious wealth. Where amongst the network of mysterious rooms lies the next key that will bring you nearer to fabulous riches. Where amongst the stone pillars and hidden dangers lie mythical creatures that can uh, perpetuate your life long enough for you to reach your ultimate goal. So they've changed it from like save the world to like go get cashed in, basically. Right. Which is now? Which backstory do you prefer, Boat? I prefer the sort of uh, you know world-ending consequences of not finding this book raises yeah. the stakes a little bit. Right, right, right. So anyway, to, to finish up on the arcade version, uh, designed by Michitaka, uh, 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 I'm going to butcher this. Serata is that how you would say it, Boat? Yeah, I think uh, so. And uh, was uh, heavily ported. Uh, to about a million systems. I'm not going to go through them all, but it's all the ones you would normally expect, uh, plus the uh, Famicom Disk System, the Game Boy, all the Japanese uh, machines got this. Amazingly, both the Atari ST got this, but not the Amiga, although the Amiga did get like a homebrew port, I believe it was in 2013. So there is an Amiga version of this. Maybe that's where we played this boat. I, I think we, we I think we somewhere. have played this on the Amigas. Yeah. It seems like something that we did. Yeah, but I mean, I looked it up on our channel. I couldn't find any reference okay. to it. Okay, maybe so not. I, I don't know. Uh, so anyway, uh, it was ported to a ton of stuff. And so, of course, you know, when something gets ported to that many things, uh, then you know that you are got something there that someone wants to play. So now let's take a look at the... Uh, the ZX version exclusively. This was released just a year later in 87. Uh, this was produced by Probe Software. They did a, a more stuff on the ZX than I thought, to be honest with you. Oh, they, yeah, they were pretty prolific, yeah, I think. and published by U.S. Gold, of course. They got to get in there. Uh, and the authors, the people that worked on this are listed as JPW and uh, Raphael Sesso uh, or Keko, your call on that one. Uh, these guys have worked on some stuff we looked at in the past. Uh, JPW was credited on uh, Beach Buggy Simulator and Ninja Scooter Simulator, if you remember that. That's uh, a great uh, game. 
Raphael was uh, credited on Stormlord 1 and 2, Time Machine, License to Kill, which we tried that on the Amiga, Exelon, which I think we did play that one, Equinox, and Cyberloid 1 and 2, among others. Uh, this is a 48K uh, game, and this got the usual uh, good stuff when it comes to control setup with a, with a, with a butt there, which we'll get to. I'm sure you know about the butt. Um, it, but it does let you reprogram the keys. So, this comes up. You've got uh, the opening volley there. It comes up with a title screen. Now, Boat, before we get too deep into the actual gameplay, uh, you have played this one before you played the ZX version, right? I mean, is this, is this one you played in the arcade or on other machines? No, I don't think... I played this on the NES. Yeah, uh, the NES and, was, was really probably the most popular port i read yeah and this this was one of those games that uh you know I, I i stumbled upon i was like oh solomon's key i always saw that for rent but i never rented it so in the early days of emulation uh, i checked it out that, that's right. my 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 backstory with it uh -huh. and and when this thing honed into view boat your initial thoughts uh you know the, it it is what i thought it was uh this is another one of these block manipulation games uh, where you know it's I, I give it credit for being probably the first maybe the first block creation manipulation game um it is a game that combines both uh sort of uh puzzle solving uh elements with a high degree of controller slash keyboard finesse this isn't a game that you can get through this ain't no sokoban where you can kind of take your sweet time and uh, and 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 figure out these puzzles without much fear of anything happening to your person. This is a game where you have to uh, perfect your your playstyle uh, as you are solving these puzzles. It requires both lightning fast reflexes, uh, a an eight sense of what your character can and cannot do. Because not only are you jumping around, but you're also jumping around and either destroying or putting down blocks. And then on top of that, you have to deal with a wide menagerie of monsters, all of which have different things that they can do. Some, you know, some monsters can destroy blocks. Some monsters don't. Uh, some monsters travel around the blocks. You have to know what each type of monster can do. All of those things going on at the same time makes for a very challenging experience. You got that right, Boat. So to, to summarize this game and, 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 uh, and break it down into its uh, individual parts, the game has you uh, go through a level. The ultimate goal of each level, it's to say, by the way, I should mention this is a, uh, you know, you do a screen, you move on. There's no scrolling. Uh, is to the, the aim of the level is to get a key and then get out the door. And the two things are not close to each other. Uh, your guy can make blocks. He can destroy blocks of a certain color, which is blue. Uh, and occasionally, he can shoot a fireball if he's picked up uh, the ability to do so. And it, the fireballs are limited. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> uh, the way you move up and down the, uh, uh, the board is literally uh, jumping and making blocks. I will say, Boat, that playing this in the arcade uh the arcade actually uses up for jump uh mm -hmm. which i thought was i mean that's how often does that happen it's not that yeah rare. well i mean it's we're still yeah we're still in, in in pretty early days you know 1986 <clears throat> i feel like the uh the the pattern hadn't been completely set yet in terms yeah. of having a button for jump so i can see that because i well 
I gotta remember. I gotta think about Bubble Bobble. Did Bubble Bobble have two buttons, or was it just one button and up for jump? I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it was. You had a button to jump, but okay, someone could correct. Because that's from that's from '86 too. Rig it like that. That's from '86 as well. So, but like I said, this is this is still pretty early days in the platform arcade scene. Um, so as you are negotiating your way through the uh, uh, th- from the key to the door, uh, of course you are in, in uh, encounter bad guys, obstacles. Uh, as Boat mentioned, some bad guys just sort of wander around. A lot of them just go from top to bottom down the screen. Some of them actually orbit certain areas. And so you have to sort of basically change their trajectory or or shoot them or block them. And a lot of monsters can also destroy your blocks. So if you think to yourself, I'm just going to throw a block down, good to go. No, that never works, hardly at all. Uh, so you also, on top of everything else, there's a bonus clock at the top. This is actually the old Donkey Kong style bonus because That's right. it's a bonus until it reaches zero and then it kills you. So then you, it <laughs> It's the bonus, bonus that bites bone. back. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, as you go through this thing, there are fairies that you'll see. Uh, sometimes they're at the start of the level and sometimes they're there when you pick up a bell. Okay, Occasionally they're just there. But sometimes you have to hit a... When you get a bell, uh, which is a pickup, they will appear. Uh, if you get the... Uh, when you get the fairies, you get bonus, uh, bonus action. Uh, and like like we mentioned, uh, you will have to negotiate your way through these blocks as there are blocks that cannot be broken, which is sometimes good and sometimes bad. Um, I played the first level of this bow just to give you a little bit of how I approached it. Uh, and I really I have to kind of say when when I st- started this up, I played the first level. I'm like, hey, this isn't bad. I mm-hmm. was like this this, this this has a lot of potential, you know. Then I played the second level. <laughs> <laughs> And I wanted. I thought to myself, "Oh my God, this is hard, really hard." Uh, and it took me a good while to get off the second level. And I had to basically go. I hate to admit this, but I had to go online and see, just to try to figure out what to do. I'm like, "What do you?" you do? That that is exa- I'm so happy to hear you say that because that is exactly what I had to do too. Yeah, I had to go over the old RZX archive and be like, "Okay." In what order? What what do I have to do? What are the movements required to beat this level? Because I played it forever and I just could not figure it out. And one thing you've got to you've got to learn early, okay? Making blocks, yes. And you can make you generally you can make a block a step above you and jump up to it, okay? Or you can make a block up beside you and walk onto it, or you can make a block say two blocks over and jump to it. There's a limit on how high you can jump and how far you could jump. Yeah. However, uh, this game, this game, uh, gr- thankfully, does not have fall damage. Right. Oh God. Can you? Oh, <laughs> that would be nightmarish. Yeah. So yeah. what you'll learn is you can, how to travel, but the hard thing to learn is how to actually get rid of blocks. It's easy because when your guy jumps up, he'll like headbutt blocks, and, and eventually they'll go away. In the arcade, it's real funny when he does it. He gets this crazy look on his face. His eyes bug out. You didn't do that in this. Uh, but you also can, and I had to learn this to get past the, uh, the third level, you have to actually, di- um, you have to take out blocks that are diagonal to you. And, mm-hmm. and so it gets, the controls get tricky. I do not recommend playing this with a keyboard. I tried, and I was I was real bad. The I agree, side, I agree. The flip side of it is, and I, I bet a lot of people didn't even know this unless they read the docs. Uh, you can earn, you can do pickups that will give you fireballs. Now, the fireballs are pretty slick. 
they actually travel like it sort of reminds me of the water in Liquid Kids. Uh, they it travels down, it flows like water. The fireballs mm-hmm. do, and so you can take out some enemies with it. But the problem is, you getting those is not easy, and they and you they're limited. So like you might get like like on the first level, I think you could pick up three. All right, but if you're not gonna go through here like Rambo. And 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 fireball everything now. Here's right, the bad and part. also and also depending on the level, enemies will respawn. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh god, yeah. And so on top of everything else, okay, you've got a one button joystick. Okay, to hit uh, by default to shoot fireballs, you have to hit the V button on the keyboard. To sh- to, so you've got to have the fireball. Then you've got to take your hand off the joystick and hit the button, unless you rig something up. So. That's a that's a problem, and I will say in the arc that arcade version, that's one thing you don't have to do. Uh, so, but there's you basically this thing could have used a, a, either one more button or a way to do that that would have been something you could do with just one. So that was, but the problem is you don't get that many fireballs, so I didn't find it to be that big a hindrance because I seldom use them. Yeah, and even when I got them, I'd be like, I, it was it's hard to find exactly. Like there's tons of places you'd want to use them, but the stuff just comes back. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times. And so, did you get much use out of the fireballs? Nope. I found them to be profoundly useless. The I discovered <laughs> that the more time I spent focusing on the fireball, the less good I became. Because I was thinking about too many things at once. This game just requires so much out of the player. Uh, you, you have no breathing room at all. Yeah. This is like, this reminds, it's just like the Jet Set Willy of block puzzle games i mean it's it's i found this brutally hard this is i found this to be 10 times harder than manic minor because manic minor don't get me wrong manic minor is no walk in the park but manic minor is all about recognizing patterns you know and once you find a pattern then you can figure out the level in this game there are so many things going on there, it's not like a. There's not a static sort of path that you have to take through the level. Now, I mean, that's not true. There is, but it's not laid out for you. This would be like if in Manic Miner, in addition to completing the level, you also had to make the path that you walk at the same time. Uh, well, I don't think. I think if a game were ten times harder than Manic Miner, the world would end. All right, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I don't think that's possible. But this is a different sort of hard. Yeah, Manic Miner, you just try over and over and over and over and over. Uh, and it's a sort of the same thing here, but it's being puzzly like it is with the block trick. You get to points. I mean, you will often get to a point where you've screwed yourself, and then you're just dead. I mean, you mm-hmm. you can't do anything. You can't advance. Right. Uh, you you also have uh, so much to contend with at once that you really have to have ultimate control, and you have to have a plan. I'm not good at plans. I'm bad at plans. And so... I just had all kinds of issues getting anywhere. And I can tell you, with much pain, I got to like the fourth or fifth level, and then I couldn't get any further. I, and, it, I was, and I was also begging for death at that point this is well. This is the type of game that if I were really serious about completing it, I would use the heck out of save states. Because I do not oh. have the patience to replay levels, part of, parts of levels that I've already figured out from a puzzle standpoint. You know, because half of the game is figuring out the puzzle and the other half is developing the reflexes required to get through the level. Yeah. And there are some things that you have to do that just like if you if you mess up and the problem is is of course like each one of these boards, especially once you get up, 
you know, into the higher levels, but even at the lower levels, you know, it might take you a minute or two just to traverse through the level, even if you know exactly what to do. If you don't know exactly what to do, it's just this arduous process of step by step filling, a, you know, figuring out what you have to do to get through. And I just, even when I was a kid and I had infinite time, I would consider that to be a waste of time because I want to get to, I want to deal with, I want to deal with one puzzle at a time. Give me one yeah. thing to do. And then once I get done with that, let me save my progress and go on to the next thing. And this game is not set up like that at all. You know, uh, the funny thing about this game is, first of all, any game this difficult, how was this not ported to the Amiga and possibly by Psygnosis? This it's is, crazy. It's crazy this be, why this was this not... Be, uh, this should have been a shoe-in for a port, uh, an yeah, Amiga port. It is funny. I will say, uh, on a hardcore game 101, the guy brings up a valid point, which is the nostalgia that people, some people have for these incredible... There, there was a range of incredibly difficult Japanese puzzle games. Mm-hmm. And this one, this one here, it fits the bill. Oh, yeah. It is, it, and the thing is, I can't, I can't bury this game. It's really hard. But it's also clever, and there's a. But it's only for a certain set of people. It's like the uh, you have to have a certain set of skills. You know what I mean to be any good at this game, uh, and I don't have them. Now I want to go back to the uh, the uh, comparison screen for a moment here. Okay, and I, I do want to. I want to mention a couple things once you do that. Yeah. So one thing I will give this game credit for. I had not. I don't think I'd ever played this in the arcade. Maybe once or twice. And when you look at the arcade game, it's it's a Tecmo game. They did a good job on it. And it looks fancy. But, I mean, if you look at the two games side by side, they're very similar. Yeah. I mean, I think they did an excellent job. Listen, you can't fault the people that ported the game, even though the game's hard. That's the way the game is, brother. Yeah, so that's you right. you got to put this thing well, over. The the problem is is that the ZX Spectrum version is harder than the arcade version. For example, yeah, it, in, it in, the sec, in the second level, the in, the monster types like they have different behaviors like there are some monsters that if you uh, if you actually it might even be it might I think I'm thinking about the first level there are some monsters that so the will second not level is exactly you're right it's the second level and yeah those monsters that come down right away they don't act like that in the arcade right. I whip right through the second level in the arcade without any trouble you know because they they act differently so you're dead on there boat. Yeah, and I agree so with you on that. why why they decided to do that over at Probe, I don't know. The, why you would make an already difficult game more difficult is beyond me. But I will say that this game, out of all of the different ports that were available at the time that I saw, which is the NES port and the CPC port, the Spectrum port has a lot going for it. One is that the speed is almost exactly arcade perfect. If you look at the the the, the speed of the monsters, and that's important. Yeah, uh, the the characters are detailed. This is one of these games where they sacrifice color for detail. Uh, if you play the Amstrad version, the Amstrad version is very colorful, but it runs slow, and I actually think it looks a little bit gaudy. It doesn't it doesn't have the crispness <laughs> of the ZX Spectrum version. Um, the uh, the NES version is probably a better game on the whole in terms of dealing with lots of things going on in the lack of uh, slowdown, things like that, but. This is definitely, I think, the best home computer, eight-bit home computer port, without a doubt. I, I've heard, I heard a lot of good things about the NES port. Apparently, the NES they changed up the level. Uh, yeah, they, they, order it was the, and the, the NES version. Stuff. 
you know, with a lot of arcade ports, the NES version, it was almost like there was a, a, a an unspoken missive that they had to change them up and not make them direct ports. And I think in the case of Solomon's Key, it's not the worst idea to ease people in, you know, and not put all the hard stuff right up front uh, like this this the, the this version seems to. But yeah. uh, it's the the NES version definitely doesn't have the the fidelity that the arcade version has. It's it's definitely more colorful than the ZX Spectrum version. But like I said, much like classic Mac games black and white games there's something about when they go with that mono color that really yeah. gives the characters a lot of good definition it is funny to me of course this isn't the first time we've mentioned this but it's amazing to me that the the prowess that the zx has when it comes to arcade ports because you would think to yourself this is going to be a disaster i think that almost every time but i learned over the years like <laughs> despite the lack of colors the the uh, the beauty of the graphics, the way they render stuff, the detail, it almost always works out quite well. And, and, and also, I've also learned that the Amstrad inevitably has more colors, but is is as slow as anything, which is sort of its downfall. Although we've seen you can squeeze more out of it than they did, you know. But the and like I said, I heard the NES version was good. I actually heard the Atari ST version was quite good as well. Okay, though. okay, all right. So. I can, I can definitely see that. Um, yeah. we got uh. I was going to. Did you did you pull up any uh, any reviews, any magazine reviews for I this? I did. One? I did boat. So just to knock out a couple here, uh, your Sinclair uh, said this was absolutely brilliant. They liked it. They gave this thing a nine out of ten. Boat. Uh, Crash uh, said, despite the simplistic plot and the gameplay, uh, it turned out very well, uh, and they gave it seventy eight percent. And then uh, Ace uh, said it was enjoyable. Uh, it wasn't as colorful as the Amstrad, but still good, and they give it a 76 boat. Okay, okay, so fair to Midland scores. Yeah, yeah, I think those are fair. I mean, because it's yeah. a difficult game, and if, and if yeah. you're a fan of the arcade, you give it like 100%. I mean, it's real oh, good. Oh, sure, yeah. absolutely. Uh, we got some Discord reviews from our community. We start with uh, Justin TPG. He says, I first encountered Solomon's Key on the Sinclair user cover cassette of November 1990. I probably chose the tape because it contained Rygar, but this game was a nice surprise. It plays directly into my love of arcade action with only a few tools with which to complete your goals. In replaying the Spectrum version this month, I discovered something I didn't know in 1990. You can press V to cast a fireball. That explains <laughs> why I originally found the game so difficult. Yeah. Despite this, I came back to Solomon's Key many times over the next few years. It still holds up today with distinct, smoothly moving sprite graphics and challenging but achievable gameplay. The one thing letting the package down is that only around a quarter of the arcade original's levels layouts are present, and unlike that version, the Spectrum game loops forever. Strange, given the instructions mentioned an ultimate goal, but still worthy of a solid 7 out of 10. Pajaco, 6502, writes, The specy showing that in the right hands it can do decent arcade ports albeit a bit cut down, which may have been just down to size, but it's playable and runs well, and despite being relatively new to the game, it's certainly one I'll go back to. Batman writes, An absolute pick-up-and-play joy. Wonderful conversion to our beloved Specky, showing exactly what can be done when a programmer doesn't just phone it in. 8 out of 10. Jed Byrne writes, Solomon's Key felt retro back in 87. With fixed screens and a few sprites, it seemed old-fashioned compared to other conversions that year like Renegade and Super Hang-On. You can see this in reviews at the time, with Crash Critics suggesting it should have been a budget release. 
Other reviewers, like your Sinclair's Phil South, recognized how brilliant and addictive this game is. Even today, the arcade game feels innovative because it isn't about twitch reactions or puzzle solving. Instead, the different behaviors of the creatures interact to get in the player's way. With each creature type, a different strategy is needed to keep them under control. Fail to contain them, and you quickly find yourself overwhelmed by the chaos. Raphael Checo did an amazing job of recognizing what made the game so compelling and translated the behaviors faithfully to the spectrum. Having neglected this game for too long, I know I'll be revisiting it regularly. And finally, D-Man writes, As with Justin's review above, I also encountered Solomon's Key from the same Sinclair user cover tape. I was completely unaware that the game was a coin-op conversion and the lack of instructions included in the magazine meant that I didn't pick up on the backstory or the lore behind the game. I thought it was just a rather charming platform puzzler that worked well on the specy. Having subsequently checked out the original, it's impressive as to how much the arcade version is included in the Spectrum port. Most of the game mechanics are there, just less screens. Overall, my opinion has not changed. Solomon's Key remains a charming platform puzzler that still stands up today, 8 out of 10. 7s and 8s, Boat. You know, yeah. before we close the door on this boat, uh, I, you know, do you find it odd? Uh, to me, I doubt this ever was... I looked on eBay to see if this PCB was available, the arcade one, and I couldn't find anybody that sold one or anyone that was selling one. And I suspect I would be stunned if this was ever released in the States because yeah. this is a real, unusual arcade game. This is much more like a home game than an arcade game. I agree. And, and, and only in a place like, you know, remember when we covered Load Runner and how popular mm-hmm. that was in Japan? These are the kind of games that they really dug. I mean, it's not like right. Loader wasn't popular here, but as an arcade game, they, you know, they made an arcade version of it in Japan. Uh, they they like this stuff. I don't know if this would have flown over here as a big hit, uh, but it's an interesting uh, foray into the puzzle realm from an arcade perspective. I think the ZX does a pretty good job. I should mention as we close, uh, I looked this up on eBay to see what it was going for, Boat. You can pick these up all day long for seven, eight bucks, no problemo. Okay, cool, cool. All right. Well, as we uh, cycle through to the end of uh, this episode, we have some big news in our Sinclair land. Uh, a change is uh, the winds of change, as Kansas said. Actually, was it Kansas? No, it was Scorpions, wasn't it? Yeah. Those wacky Germans, the Scorpions. That's a good song, though, for them. They really went out of their comfort zone. But... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the winds of change are blowing in our Sinclair. Uh, several circumstances have happened in my life here recently, which have made it uh, impossible for me to continue as the host of our Sinclair. Uh, Eep, my wife, is opening a restaurant, which is requiring a lot of my time, and I'm also uh, entering the ministry to some degree uh, in the process of... uh, uh yeah, <laughs> admitting myself as a uh, permanent diaconal candidate within the Diocese of Wheeling, Charleston, West Virginia, in the Roman Catholic Church. So uh, my amount of free time has lessened my responsibilities of grown, and uh, unfortunately, this is going to be my last episode as uh, one of the hosts of Our Sinclair, but all is not lost, not by a long shot. Our Sinclair is continuing on, and it is going to be bigger and better than ever. Tell us about it, Aaron. Well... I don't know about that, but it is continuing on. So, uh, myself and the Brent are going to be taking over 
uh, R. Sinclair. Uh, I think we're starting. I uh, believe September third will be the first. Will be the first one we take over. The first recording. Uh, and we're going to give the the Brent... Of course, you know, the one thing about ARG, we've gotten to play a little bit of everything, so it's not like Brent hasn't played anything on his ZX. He's he's pretty well-schooled on it by now. We're going to be taking over the reins here and let Boat go take care of his business. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to be changing the way uh, we, we shoot these uh, in the future, and we'll release more on it when we get a schedule worked out. But I will say that you'll actually... Actually, at the end of the day, you're going to get a few more R. Sinclair's than you would normally have gotten in a year. Uh, it'll be, uh, actually, so R. Sinclair will be uh, actually getting bumped up a little bit over the course of a year, Boat. We're excited about it. I'm sad to see Boat uh, uh, rolling out, but, I mean, this guy's got a lot of, on his plate. And, uh, plus, there's nothing saying we can ever have him come back around and visit uh, the show now and again. Uh, but uh, uh, I know Brent is looking forward to it. I'm going to let him talk about it more on uh, ARG this weekend. Uh, but uh, it should be uh, it should be interesting, uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, I'm looking forward to getting more R. Sinclair in my lifeboat. Yeah, man. Uh, but, and I'm going to miss doing the show with you because we've been. I don't know how long we've been doing this. I don't know what episode we're on here, boat. Uh, Lots. I mean, it's uh, almost a hundred. Almost a hundred. Oh, yeah, 100. It seems like way more than that. Gosh, it's like we've been doing this forever. This is the first show we did. Was this the... Did we did this before. Did we do this before ARG, Bo? No, ARG was first, and then Iris Sinclair was second. And, we, uh, th and we've really enjoyed it. I mean... Yeah. It was a surprise, frankly. Yeah, ARG, I mean, you, you want to talk about constant surprises, constant pleasant surprises. I'm talking about Iris Sinclair, knucklehead. That's what I we mean. <laughs> I meant to say Iris Sinclair. Yeah, uh, so, but I mean, when I think about all of the uh, wonderful British culture that I've absorbed through doing this show, yeah. everything from learning about Jockey Wilson to watching a bunch of Minder, I mean, it's 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 great. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad this this turned you on to Minder. Uh, <laughs> so we will. I can only tell you that I will try, uh, uh, and with the help of the Brent, to maintain. Uh, uh, the show as well as I can uh, in Boat's absence. I'm going to miss you, Boat, but thankfully, uh, it, uh, you know, we'll do our best to fill your shoes. Let's just put it that way. Sounds good, man. And yeah, I'll be back. All right, Aaron, what are you and Brent covering on the next episode of Iris and Claire? Let's find out. You're the lame duck now. You can just say, <laughs> you can mock it incessantly. We're playing Rocco. Rocco, I believe this was originally titled Rocky, uh, but, uh, Mm, something must have happened, Boat. You know what I mean? <laughs> a phone call Looks like that O late. was hastily scribbled in there at the end. <laughs> That's right. It's like when I make logos. It's very similar. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for watching. And make sure you check out the next episode of Ars Sinclair for a brand new host, but still awesome show. Until then, rewind tape. And press play.